Hey, Babs, what's going on? Oh, hey, are you like cooped up at home all alone or perhaps just with your significant other? Do you know what you guys could spend that time doing? I do. We are super excited to be supported by AdamandEve.com. Yes, please. So if you're looking for some sexy, sensual treats to spice up the bedroom. You know I am, but like, do you have any free stuff for me? Oh yeah, I mean, I've got free stuff. I've got sexy stuff, and I've got free stuff, and I've got free sexy stuff. Oh, that's just the stuff I've wanted. Do I you, mean, yeah. Could I maybe have almost any one item for 50% off? You can definitely have almost any one item for 50% off. Uh, that's half. Thank you. Um, And then on top of that, Adam and Eve is going to give you like a bunch of other free stuff. Well, how do I get it? You have to enter offer code HAGS. That's H-A-G-S. Oh, thank you for spelling it. At checkout. And once you do that, you'll get your half off your one item. And then you're going to get 10 very special, very sexy free gifts. Wait, is that one item for me, a special gift for Alex, and then a third item we'll both enjoy? Yeah, and then it's seven more on top of that because it's 10 total. What? Plus six free movies. How is that possible? Plus what? Free shipping. I can't believe it. What? How do I do it? Offer code HAGS. That is H-A-G-S at adamandeve.com. Thanks, Riley. You're welcome, Nicole. Hi. Oh, hey. Hey. Uh, so I'm really excited about this episode for yes. reasons you're about to find out. Uh, <laughs> but first of all, this coming Friday mm-hmm. is our August feed drop Friday. So get excited. It's going to be so I'm good. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm beyond excited. We are feed dropping an episode of Gender Reveal, which is a super cool award-winning podcast uh, where Tuck Woodstock talks to trans people about what the heck gender is. So if you're wondering, I'm certainly wondering, um, <laughs> tune in Friday for this very special episode. But right now we have a very, very special episode. The word of the week is daughterly, mm. which we, mm. we sort of like set up. In last week's episode at the very end there. Yes. And we are joined by Barbara Taylor. She's an immigration legal services lawyer and also Riley's mom. Woo! (laughs) She joins us to discuss what it means to be a good daughter. And is that even a thing? How one mean comment from a 12-year-old can ruin everything. Mm -hmm. Gender expectations of your fetus. When success overshadows a parent's experience. And the two-way street that is a mother-child relationship. It's beautiful. But first, Riley's going to take it away with our boss-ass bitch of the week. This week's boss-ass bitch comes to us from our favorite he-for-she advocate, Tim Sullivan. As always, if you want to show support for Tim's babs, he only asks that you consider a donation to Planned Parenthood. Today's fierce female is Rosa Parks. Born in Alabama in 1913, Rosa became a member of the NAACP in 1943, when the chapter leader advised her that, quote, women don't need to be nowhere but in the kitchen. She said, well, what about me? He appointed her secretary, the only position deemed acceptable for a woman to hold. That same year, she boarded a bus driven by James Blake, paid her fare, and then sat down in the colored section at the back. The driver insisted she get off the bus because she had not entered through the back door, the colored entrance. When she disembarked, he drove off without her. She vowed never to ride with him again. Twelve years later, in 1955, the bus was so crowded that she did not notice Blake was driving. Though she was seated in the colored section, as the white section filled up, Blake moved the colored sign back two rows behind where Rosa was sitting and demanded everyone give up their seats for white passengers. Three people complied, but Rosa refused. When threatened with arrest, Rosa merely slid toward the window to allow someone to sit next to her. 
Her local NAACP chapter pounced on the incident to lead a boycott of the Montgomery bus system. On the day of Rose's trial, Black Alabamians refused to take the bus, some organizing carpools while others walked up to 20 miles to get to work. Rosa was found guilty and fined $14. That night, a huge rally was held to celebrate the success of the boycott. Crowds cheered for Rosa and demanded that she give a speech. When she moved towards the podium, she was blocked by the male organizers of the protest, who told her, quote, why you've said enough. The boycott would go on for 381 days until the buses were desegregated in 1956. Rosa became a leader in the Black Civil Rights Movement, marching at Selma, befriending Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, and campaigning for John Conyers' long-shot but ultimately successful run for Congress. He hired her as the secretary for his Detroit office, a position she held until retiring in 1988. She also served on the board of advocates of Planned Parenthood. She received both the Presidential Medal of Freedom and the Congressional Gold Medal. When she died in 2005, Rosa became the first woman, the first non-government official, and the second Black person to lie in state at the Capitol Rotunda. Her casket was transported by bus. And here are some quotes. Each person must live their life as a model for others. I would like to be known as a person who is concerned about freedom and equality and justice and prosperity for all people. I have learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear. Knowing what must be done does knowing what must be done does away with fear. People always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I was not physically tired or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I was not old, although some people have an image of me as being old then. I was 42. No, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. Clearly, Rosa Parks was a boss ass bitch. Oh, hags. Uh, hags. Oh. Hags. So, we are here. So, say something into the mic, Mom. Um, hi. Hi, Alex. Hey, Barbara. <laughs> hey. Um, Alex, how are our levels? I can turn this up as well. Yes, I think we'll need to go up a little bit louder on your end. Okay. And then, Mom, if you want to sit in a way that we can get your mouth as close to the microphone as possible, that's probably the ideal. Okay. How does that sound? Cool. All right. I think we're good. Oh, great. How's everybody doing, first and foremost? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Is it a million degrees and on fire there? A hundred percent. Yep. Yep. Everywhere you look. Great. It's on fire. It came down a little bit. It's like it's like 89 or something today or 92 here in Burbank. Okay, that's not too bad compared to what I've been hearing. Yeah, yes. It's <laughs> back down in the double digits, so I guess that's good. It is very humid, though. It's like 35% humidity. Ugh, yeah. It's never that way in L.A. I no. Know. And the mosquitoes have been yeah. like, <gasps> get out of here. We a bunch of mosquito bites yesterday. Yeah. No, yep. I yeah. hate that. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have mosquitoes up in Maine? <laughs> Oh my god! Actually, they haven't been—they haven't been that bad, but they—they're like notoriously the bane of my existence. Yeah, well, and they okay. prefer Riley to all other meals. Yeah. Oh, Same. Riley, do you have uh, like type O blood or whatever? I actually don't know my blood type, which is bizarre because I have like a you have hematologist. A blood yeah, I have like a, a specifically designated hematologist that I've had for like five years, and I don't—I could not tell you my blood type. So cool. Because <laughs> I've heard the mosquitoes really love O-type blood, and I have O-blood, and I have, like, seven bites on my body from 
an hour outside yesterday. No. Have you tried the bug bite thing? I haven't, but I've been seeing so many ads for it on social media. What is that? I I have two. I have one for Maine and one that I'm bringing back to LA. It's just a tiny suction device that like suctions the mosquito juice out of your body and Uh, makes you not itch anymore. (gasps) Maybe need that because there's so much mosquito juice in my body right now. (laughs) I'm so itchy. Get it out. Get out of here, juice. (sighs) To the point where I carry off deep woods wipes in my purse and like immediately wipe myself down when I know I'm going to be outside. (laughs) And it was still too late. Still too late. Doesn't matter. It's bastards. Um, great. Well, well, great. Well, great. So we left off last episode kind of posing the question to whoever wanted to chime in um, about what it means to like be a good daughter or yeah. if that even is a thing. I don't know. We got one one of our listeners who wrote in who I think hits the nail on the head just in terms of like it completely depends depending on your mother your relationship etc yeah she mentions like cultural (laughs) expectations too which i thought was very um well thought out (laughs) yeah exactly there are some like society there's like societal shit and then there's family shit yeah there's like what does what does the culture around you tell you that you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to behave or what you're supposed to represent and then there's like what gets passed down in your family tradition wise for for better or for worse. Yeah. And I think I mean Jenny mentioned specifically that the reason why she thinks she's a a, a quote pretty okay daughter is because she thinks she meets most of her parents expectations. Mm-hmm. which I feel like goes across cultural and like socioeconomic. It's like universal to be like, perhaps it, judging yourself as a good or bad daughter depends solely on your parents' expectations of you as a daughter. Yeah. And I, to that, like piggybacking on that, depending on what the expectations that are placed upon you are, I think that can, that can be really wrapped up in your, just your identity your self-identity, whether or not you separate it from like, oh, this is how I'm a good daughter or just like, this is how I'm a good human being. Right. Like what my parents have set up for me to pursue or accomplish or value or whatever. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, hi, mom. Welcome to Hags. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited you're joining us. Um, well, I'm delighted to be here just so nobody expects me to say anything important. <laughs> oh, no, that's not what we do here on Hags. So you're yeah. in the clear. <laughs> Welcome to Hags. We say whatever comes into our minds. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. So, <laughs> hooray. <laughs> that's too accurate. Um, so in, in the interest of full transparency, I came up with a list of like questions and topics that we might talk about today. Um to like that, that all kind of center around the idea of mothers and daughters. Mm-hmm. But even in coming up with that list, I just, I found myself getting really interested in cultural expectations and how they change over time. Oh. And mom, as a person who has lived longer than us, uh, <laughs> you can speak more than we can to the way that some of those changes happen or I don't know if you've seen if you've seen or experienced how 
how the idea of having a daughter changed from either when you were little to when you became a parent to now. Do you see any sort of like themes that are either consistent or that have like drastically changed? Well, um, I got when you said that you were going to do a show about being a daughter, it really triggered in my mind a whole bunch of things, not about having a daughter, but about me, myself being a daughter and where um, and how that played itself out at the time that it happened. Um, I grew up in a very traditional white upper middle class suburb uh, and in the 50s, in the time when suburbia just really ruled women's lives. I had a mom who was extremely concerned about what other people thought. Mm. And she ended up with two daughters, right, who came to their teen and young adult years, right at the end of the 60s, when every, absolutely everything was changing. Um, and it became very clear to us, um, we young people at the time, that there was almost nothing about our mother's lives that we cared to have for ourselves. Uh, I think that is different now. So that was one thing I started to think about. We can talk about that later. The other thing that I was amazed to feel was to remember how clearly different I felt when I was told I was going to have a daughter as opposed to having a son. Now, I don't know if that speaks badly for me or the era or anything like that, but I had a completely different reaction to knowing I was having a daughter from knowing I was having a son. So what you're saying is you were really disappointed in Sam and yeah. you love me more and you're much more proud of me. Good. I just wanted that evidence to be recorded at some point, so I'm very happy. Yeah. No, I was I was excited in a way that I'm sort of guessing traditionally like guys get excited when they know they're going to have a son. And so I was looking at that and trying to wonder why. Um, and it must have something to do with if, if the familiarity or the, 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 I don't know, identifying with another female um, and feeling like culturally you're the person that's going to teach them how to be a woman. Or so. I don't know what it is. I think it's something rather deep and cultural. I think culturally women are supposed to show their the girls how to be women. Men are supposed to show the boys how to be men. Um, but there's also just something about somebody with the same body. I don't know. I, 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 I honestly don't know what the root of it was, but it was very different. I remember being amazed that a male could come out of my body. <laughs> like, how'd that, how'd that get in there? You know, it was just, <laughs> um, whereas it didn't feel that way at all to have a female come out of my body. Yeah, that's true. I never really thought about that. You're like, I, I built a tiny penis. <laughs> yeah, and a scrotum. Yeah. Even worse. God. <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> um, you know, at, that being said, I was raised by a mother who vastly preferred men, who thought, who based, and, and this came from her mother, who thought girls, you know, were 
um, were competition. Mm. Um, and whereas I just got to be part of the 60s where you were just absolutely discovering and sort of reveling in the joy of female bonding and companionship and and trying exciting new things and curiosity and just bursting out in a way that my mom never did and her mom certainly never did. That's really interesting. I found I found a study that was done by the National Library of Medicine in 1986, which is the year I was born. A great year, a great year. A great for humanity. Year. <laughs> Let's just establish that it was the best year. There was best babies were born. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I think there was also like a big stock market crash or something, but we don't we, we don't talk cares. about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was like a bunch of questionnaires completed by college-aged women in 1983, I think. Um, and it found that it was the majority of daughters who claimed to have a good relationship with their mother said that they saw both themselves and their mothers as feminists, mm. but that they didn't necessarily say like, oh, that's the reason we have a good relationship. But, but like both were true. They were like, okay, I have a good relationship with my mom and I consider us both feminists, but I don't necessarily give feminism credit for this good relationship. On the other side of that, the daughters who claimed to have poor relationships with their mother were more likely to blame feminism oh, for the poor relationships with their mother, which, and we're talking about, so 1986, so that would be mothers that, if they're college age in 1986, that means they're born around the 60s mm-hmm. at this kind of like interestingly pivotal point. So I wonder how much that has to do with like mothers who either embraced that change moving forward or mothers who were maybe attached to, like you were saying, mom, like the suburban kind of traditional stuff and saw feminism as like, I don't know, an enemy or taught, you know, the idea that feminism would be an enemy or would be responsible for some sort of discord. That was very interesting to me. That's insane. Okay, so my mom was born in 1962. She had my sister in 1980 and then me in 86, as we've spoken about the best year ever. (laughs) And I don't know if I would consider my mom a feminist, but I definitely don't blame feminism for our rocky relationship. I more blame religion, (laughs) 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 which I guess in and of itself often is anti-feminist, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot, there are a lot of roots of religion, which was another kind of question that I was thinking about is like, how, where does this come from? This like, either, either like you were saying, mom, like this idea of like, oh, other women are competition. Like, where does that, how is that rooted? Where, who came up with that? Because that's an inherited thing. That's got to be, that's not just like, oh, I've, I've decided I'm going to be the first person who thinks that like women are out to get each other or dangerous to each other or something. Do you, do you have a sense of like where, where that lived in your mom? Um, I think that the one thing that's important for, to realize is that Parents and children are very much a two-way street. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, if I think that a mother is going to, a parent actually, 
is going to find it hard. Sorry. To understand a parent, which in a way that you can probably only do when you're older, look and see how they were thwarted in their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at that, it will tell you a lot about whether they felt threatened by any freedom you might have that they didn't, any opportunity, any um, success. Uh, I know that my my mom, for example, was very smart and never got to go to college. And, um, you know, I, I sort of think that I didn't go ahead and go to law school till after she died. <laughs> uh, I think part of us, you know, it, it's difficult to pass up um, the success of a parent um, and that, and you absolutely have to expect that there'll be these whole arenas that were never available to them that are available to you. And uh, I think that just factors in there. Yeah. I mean, especially mm-hmm. when we're talking about the, the matriarchy side of the mm-hmm. family, I think there have been much more distinct differences from generation to generation as to what's available. Yeah. You know, the fact that, the fact that, even we've had conversations where we're like, do people even need to go to college? What's this like college thing we're being sold just because mm-hmm. that was accessible to us when, you know, a woman who I met, who I was alive at the same time as didn't feel, didn't have that opportunity. And she, she did end up going back to school when she was in her seventies. Yeah, she graduated from college when she was 70. Wow. Too. That's so cool. <laughs> Which is fantastic. In women's studies. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, it really hasn't been that long that these options have been available. Well, and she did go to college for a year and then her father took her out of college because he thought she was having too much fun oh, and boy. he sent her and sent her to secretarial school. <laughs> no more, no more living there. Learn a trade, get a job, stop having fun, be an adult immediately. <sighs> yeah. I was just thinking that my grandparents didn't go to college. No one my aunt's uncle's parents didn't go to college. The first person in our family to go to college was my sister, which is insane to me. And you have a big family. I have a huge family. Yeah, everyone, we have a lot of electricians. We have a lot of firemen, like a lot of like trades, tradesmen who are like doing very well for themselves, but nobody went to college. I have a friend, um, she's in her 40s, who's from Tennessee. And she, whenever she goes back home, Somebody there is bound to like listen to all the success she's having with her music career and suggest that maybe she's, quote, getting ahead of her upbringing. Oh, oh, my. Wow. Wow. And there you do have to recognize that both your family and the whatever subculture you grew up in Mm -hmm. will have will usually be very thrilled with your success, but also be ambivalent about your success. Um, Yeah. Definitely. And what they think it says about them not being sufficient or good enough. 
Right. Yeah. There's got to be a way that they're like, like a little asterisk that's like, <laughs> you're successful, but okay. Footnote. Here's the reason why <sighs> that doesn't actually matter that much to us. Cause of our way of life and our values are like this, this, and this. We're very happy for her, but also like, you know, or just like straight up resentment. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. when I came back from my freshman year of college, I used some like multiple syllabic word in regular conversation. And I remember my dad being like, oh, yeah, you think you're so smart. We'll remember a machinist paid for you to get smart. And I'm like, what? Wait, what are we talking about? (laughs) Okay. Hold on. Okay. Noted. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) The fuck does that have to do with anything that we've been talking about? (laughs) Yeah. It's like they're threatened. Yes. They're like, whoa, don't get too smart. Yes. What's what's up with that? And like the immediate competition too, of like, I'm sure as women, um, we've all been in secret competitions. We didn't realize that we were in and didn't necessarily want to be in. Have you, Barbara and Riley, both experienced this? Where you're like, wait, were we fighting? Wait, are we competing? I wasn't aware and I don't want to be a part of this. Yeah, like coming, interacting or realizing that you've been in the same space as a woman who sees there to be some kind of competition occurring that you're like, I didn't sign up for this. Right. I want no part of it. Yes. Why are you putting me in this? Can we can we just be cool? Oh no. Well, I I I know for my mom and maybe for me and my sister vis-a-vis my mom, there was definitely a competition for dad's attention. Mm. And I know that my mom was her dad's absolute favorite. Her dad was a very dashing sort of ladies man and her mother very much resented their relationship. And you don't have to get all Freudian about it. It's mm-hmm. just that just, you know, um, I, I suppose Riley and I never had to get into that because as far as I could, was concerned, she could have him. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. He's all yours. Please be my guest. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever felt competitive with you, Sam. I've definitely felt competitive with Sam, but that's entirely Sam motivated. He's just very competitive. And so it makes me, I, we're, I mean, we're all kind of a competitive family when it comes to like playing board games. I would imagine the, <laughs> um, the board games in your household are very intense. Just knowing you, Riley. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, you have to understand that I was also always the one that like most frequently lost the board games because I was like the youngest and not as smart as everybody else. So mm. Mm. And, and can I just tell you that that is the origin of the famous Riley quote, I quit and I win. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, because you got to win somehow. And if the cards are stacked against you, like don't play the game, win the game and leave. <laughs> I like how it's I quit first and then I win as yeah. opposed yeah. to the other way around. <laughs> well, she, right, right. she quit first, so right. she yeah. won at quitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. More power to you, Riley. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. <laughs> I support you in this <laughs> in this past decision. I'm so glad. <laughs> so, like, Barbara, do you feel like with the societal um, parameters of the day that you were like a good daughter, perhaps by waiting to go to law school and like fulfilling those expectations of your parents? Um, I, I, I think I was a good daughter eventually. I was certainly a good daughter when I became an adult. First of all, my 
My mom, once she had an empty nest, really did get to grow and expand. Uh, both my parents said, like, okay, our kids turned us into Democrats. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, well done. But, but she voted for John Kennedy in 1963. Um, I, think that, I, think, I think that what wasn't allowed for her and something that she and I very much have in common, but that was allowed for me or that I just seized and took, was to be any of the following, angry, competitive, um, fight, you know, aggressive, fighting, um, outspoken, uh, loud, um, smart, (laughs) all those things my mom was and was constantly sort of smothering because you're not any of those things if you're a suburban housewife. Right. Um, I got to be them first by virtue of being the youngest child, my older sister, not so much. And then by just being a child of the sixties. Um, so yeah, I think, I was a good daughter in that I kind of helped my mom see the value of those things in herself. And then I think that, um, uh, so yeah, that's how I think. I'm not sure I believe there's any such thing as a good daughter. I sort of think that's a trap because a lot of people are going to define a good daughter according to their own fears or their own frustrations. Um, And one thing about the parent being a two-way thing, um, when parents are angry at their kids, I think it's important to remember that before they were angry, they were scared, even if it was for a nanosecond and they didn't notice it themselves. And I think our kids are very capable of scaring us, either into feeling insecure or into because we think something is going to happen that they don't know about, that we know about, and... um, yeah, I think, I think there's no such thing as a good daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I think people who think in those terms are speaking often out of either their fears or their frustrations or their insecurities, um, or a set of expectations that they've created in their own mind. Now, that being said, and then I'll shut up. I know I'm talking too long. No, please keep talking. I'm, I'm loving it. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> um, I I think that um, the the reason it's been easy for me to have what I feel like is a strong relationship with my kids is because both of them have been easy kids. This is where that two way street is. You know, Mm -hmm. none of them had, you know, any kinds of challenging either physical things or super emotional things. I mean, they certainly had their share of bad behavior, but it was all within the realm of behavior I kind of could understand for the age that they were and stuff like that. Both of them had... We, we share, there's certain things that we share that we both love. So it's easy to hang out with them and talk about, you know, I mean, Riley and I have been like wildlife camming <laughs> and feeding the raccoons on our porch just to no, see if they can problem solve. Don't, don't tell Sam. He doesn't approve of feeding <laughs> raccoons. Oh. <laughs> 
you know, we, so we we have enough things in common that we both that we both love, so that I they haven't challenged me in any serious ways. I've learned huge amounts from them without them making me feel like I was, you know, there was something wrong with me. <laughs> so I'm probably not the best spokesperson to talk about <laughs> those kinds of things. Did you have a, a, a set of expectations when you, before you had either of them? I mean, were, did you go into motherhood? No, because I, di- I didn't know anything about kids. So the most I did was I'd read these books that told like, what, what's the kid's job at this age? Like when they're three years old, they're, they're supposed to, this is what they're supposed to be doing, right. <laughs> you know, right. mm-hmm. kinds of things. So that I never felt like, oh my God, they're doing that. They're going to, they're going to do that when they're 40. (laughs) No, that's a three-year-old thing. Um, So my expectations were more for myself. It's like, these kids are going to get a college degree. And once they're equipped with that, plus some adult, I really wanted them to have other adult relationships besides their parents, like people who knew them and liked them. Mm And, and once they were launched that way, then, then I felt like I had done my job. What I didn't know is how much fun it is to have adult kids and plus their friends, plus how much you learn from them. I mean, you learn from them every single age, but the older they get, the more fun, the more they crack open your world in a way. And um, yeah, I I certainly always expected them to be kind and polite, to never be rude. Or, Or what I said was, Never begin with being rude. There we you know? go. Yeah, yeah. You may ha- you may have to go there, but you don't <laughs> start there. <laughs> That's um, fair. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, I guess a little bit. I expected them to be a friend of anybody who was getting fucked over. You know, an underdog or just yeah, anybody that was like in an unfair situation. Mm-hmm. I think I think I'm a big believer in fairness. <laughs> Yeah, 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 you're a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man, that all sounds really great. It kind yeah. of like I was like, oh, having kids sounds cool from Barbara's point <laughs> of view. Well, I was gonna say that's such a unique confidence you had going into it. I, I, most the the parents I know, like either who are our age or even my parents, I mean, who've talked candidly about not really knowing what they were doing, even though they were they were. They wanted us and they were ready to have us, but they like, they didn't know what the hell they were doing. <laughs> and it's just always been my theory that, you know, kids insecurities and like neuroses like are pretty directly associated with their parents, like fears and insecurities about what to do with them as they're raising them. Mm. And it just seems so, I don't know, like unique to hear the way you like approached it was just mm-hmm. like with kind of confidence that it was going to turn out all right and you're going to instill some values and they're going to be they're going to there's a couple of things that you hope that they do and then they did it <laughs> part of that was just being older when i had kids i was mm. 35 and 39 when i had my two kids okay um and then the other part was just like learning as you go along and i'm sure i screwed some stuff up i'm sure there was interventions I should have done and stuff like that that but sure like oh maybe they need you know I was I sort of thought people were 
okay unless you really saw that they weren't. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, I would love to know how how um, your perspective on or perception of gender came into play in your parenting, whether it was like rejecting some of this, like things. I mean, I, I know this because you raised me, but like <laughs> things, there are things for girls and things for boys and stuff like that. But like how, cause I, I know that that wasn't, that there were, there must've been people in your life that had a very distinct view of gender when it comes to kids. And I know that you didn't have that view, or maybe you did in ways that I wasn't aware of. Um, and I wonder, I just wonder sort of like what your experience was with, with like understanding gender or having opinions about gender in your life. And then also specifically when it came to like raising a son and a daughter, um, or whether it was just like, I'm just going to ignore all this like gendered shit and yell about it sometimes in Toys R Us. My mom was very mad about like the amount of pink in like the girls aisle in Toys R Us and would right. embarrass us by yelling about it. I love that. <laughs> I aspire to that. <laughs> well, I, I was just offended that they sorted toys at all. You know? Yeah. Like, if you wanted a truck, you had to go to the boys' toys. Um, no, I, I think that there was nobody in my life that was trying to enforce those real gender stereotypes whose opinion I cared about. Um, so I, you know, other than your other, gr your grandmother, well, she gave me Barbies. So. Yes, I know she did. <laughs> and I, I actually, I mean, yeah. And, you know, Sam liked to dress up and wear wigs and every, everybody played with everything. So that, that wasn't really a problem. The truth is that you, Riley, were much more of a girly girl than I, you know, than my natural tendencies. And I sometimes felt kind of inadequate. Like when you were in middle school and you wanted to go to the dance, you had to go over to Claudia's and Jill's to get like makeup done and everything. I don't, I'm not that great at this sort of traditional girly stuff. Um, I, you know, and, and I think that you loved that stuff. You loved it. Well, yeah. Playing dress up. Are you kidding me? It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, we still do that like, professionally. Exactly. That's now my job. So um, was that something that you did, were ever interested in or did yourself? Or was that something that you right off the bat were just like, this is not for me? Because it's not like you had never heard of it. It's everywhere. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I, I did everything that, you know, as a, in middle school and, and high school, like, curled my hair with giant rollers and then in the 60s wore skirts that absolutely just barely came below my crotch. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And part of that was just, I, you know, one of the things that I learned when I got to college was how much fun it was to have a female body, how wonderful sex was, how much fun it was, which is something your mother never tells you, um, <laughs> you know, they tell you all this stuff. I, I sort of, my mother did. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I equate it to like, it's like teaching cooking by starting with food poisoning um, right. yeah. and then never going anywhere else. It's like you get to eat it and it's pleasure. So anyway, um, I loved 
you know, being a hot, sexy young woman for all the years I was a hot, sexy young woman. I loved it. It felt like, it felt like, it felt like one of your superpowers. I mean, it just felt, it felt great. (laughs) So, um, and I wore makeup and I, you know, had gorgeous dresses and fancy gowns and all that stuff. But, um, when you were in middle school and starting to get into the stuff, that stuff, I had sort of left that long behind me. And I also thought it felt a little early to me when you and your friends were getting interested in some stuff. It just, it felt early to me. So probably there was that. (laughs) Yeah. That's an interesting thing. I think about mothers raising daughters is is the fear of like when of like keeping childhood childhood and when quote unquote adult things become okay or when they're too early or mm. what what the fear around that is because i mean i definitely remember as a kid being like oh yeah i want to do all the thi- i want to wear a two piece bathing suit and high heels and lipstick and like this is so much fun i w- <laughs> i would love to do all those fun things all at once and to to try them out and then I, I don't know, I definitely was aware as a child of adults being uncomfortable <laughs> about certain things that like they did, but that you weren't allowed to do, which of course is all relating to whether or not it's sexy or something. But as a kid, you're just like, this is fun. I, I would like to participate. <laughs> Interesting. And were you open, Riley, with your mom about like, I want to wear this, I want to do this? I remember there being a debate about a two-piece bathing suit. And at what age? I don't know, seven. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I also wanted to get my belly button pierced when I was like nine. Um, You know, there was just like stuff that was, I had, I campaigned a lot. I had lots of like ideas of things, usually around like animals or pets that I wanted to get. um, Stuff that I wanted to try. I just was very into like, try, I want to try it all again, which is like why I'm an actor. I want to try out being all the people. Um, I don't really know what, who I am, but I would like to try all the other stuff and like, see what I like. Uh, but it was interesting. I definitely was aware of there being a little bit of an uncomfortability factor about around Barbies, around fashion magazines, um, and around like things that could maybe be perceived as sexy, I guess. Two piece bathing suits is the only one I can really think of. This is so illuminating. (laughs) I just keep thinking like, wow, we could not have been raised more differently. How did we end up? What's your experience with all of this? I mean, everything was a big fucking secret. Everything. Everything. I mean, I remember middle school going to like the swim portion of gym, the like month long. You're learning to swim, even though you better already know how to swim because this pool's 12 feet deep. So good luck style (laughs) of learning um and seeing all the other girls with shaved legs and me being like wait 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 does anyone have hairy legs no no literally just me huh okay well if my mom hasn't talked to me about it it's probably because it's a taboo subject there were like many taboo subjects like don't ask me about sex. If there's like a scene with kissing in a movie, you have to close your eyes, like put your hands over your eyes and you better not be peeking. Like it was very like, and this is a woman who had a child at 17. So like you'd think she'd be like, sex is awesome. <laughs> but she was for sure not. 
And I started shaving my legs with her razor in the shower secretly. And then my sister outed me because she was like, what's wrong with your legs? Why is there a cut on your knee? And I was like, why are they covered in blood? Yeah. (laughs) Like, Why are there little pieces of toilet paper all over your body? Um, (laughs) um, And then it was like a big deal. And like my mom was like, does that something that you want to do? Do you think you're old enough to be doing those things? And I was like, it's just everybody in swim class has smooth legs and I'm embarrassed. And it was like always like this like whispered conversation that dad couldn't hear, even though he like obviously knew everything that was going on because he's a smart man. And also my mom (laughs) probably was like, so this is what we just talked about. Like, what's the point of pretending it's such a big secret when Literally everybody in the family knows because I would go over to my Aunt Mary's house and then she'd be like, did you start shaving your legs? And I'd be like, fuck, everybody knows. I have no secrets, but everything seems to be a secret. It was like Mm -hmm. a very confusing, like the river's running one way, but the undercurrent is running the other way upbringing. And it took me many years to be like, oh, that's just fucked up. Okay, cool, cool, cool. It's just so... Riley just sounds so nice to like be open and campaigning for things instead of like, I'm going to just talk to no one about this. And I thought this wasn't my period because I thought in the commercial it's blue. So that's not right. Um, That's still one of my favorite things about your childhood. I just I thought it was really thin liquid. I didn't necessarily think it was blue, but I was like, it's supposed to be really thin and this is really clumpy. So this obviously isn't it. I'm just going to throw these underwear away. And my mom was like, what's, what's, what are those? And I was like, what do they look like? Like a 14 year old little bitch. (laughs) You know, it's just like that. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I had, I was very secretive as well. I did not tell my mom when I got my period and she was her, had her feelings hurt about that. It's a monumentous moment. Um, But it's also like, it's super loaded. There's, I think that's even being like, do you think you're old enough to shave your legs? Like, you don't fucking know. You're the oldest you've ever been. You don't know how it feels to be any older because you're the oldest right now. So it feels fine, I guess. I I don't fucking know. Um, There's all this like, I don't know. I was just aware that it was like a really big deal when you get your period. And some people had parties for people who got their periods. And I was like, that's a nightmare. Um, I guess I just won't tell any because this is like, this is, and again, a child with anxiety. So it's, right. I don't think that you should have expected these things from me, mom. I think this is just like the, the extremes to, that my brain went to that were un, unreasonable. Um, but I was like, okay, my mom is very supportive of everything. She's going to be too supportive of me getting my period (laughs) and it's going to be embarrassing and I don't want to put myself through that so I'll just yeah uh, I had that billboard all picked yeah (laughs) Riley it was going to be painted with your period blood oh my god (laughs) that's pretty dark actually (laughs) it's just so silly it was like it's like I remember when I started to have budding breasts, essentially, I still Uh. call them to this day chubby nipples, Um, (laughs) which I think is like the most accurate description of like when you actually start developing like breast tissue, you're just like, these are uncomfortable, but they don't do anything or, you know, it's like, what's the use of this? My mom, she picked me up from middle school, which she never did. And then she announced to everyone on the front steps that we were going training bra shopping. And I was like, what the, you monster, you're a monster. We don't talk about any of this. I didn't even know we were going until you just announced it to everybody. Um, It's just so, it's just so strange. 
Well, so much of that stuff is influenced by your peers and like, like the shaving your legs thing. I, that's something that like, I can definitely see how an adult is like, why do you want to shave your legs? Women Mm -hmm. do that because of sex appeal or something. Mm -hmm. Whereas 12 year olds do that because other 12 year olds do that. And that's the end of that thought process. Yes. You're just like, my friends do it. I would like to do it too, please. Yeah. End of story. Chelsea, (laughs) Chelsea Scott was sitting next to me. She was like three feet taller than me. She looked at my legs and went, ew. Look oh, at your over. leg That's there. It. And I was like, dead. I was in a coffin. Yeah. Close it up. <laughs> bury it. Yep. Yeah. It's the wear- wearing a bra, wearing cute underwear, like mm-hmm. changing in the gym locker. I yep. definitely remember being like, my underwear is not as cute as everybody else's underwear. Gonna need to get new underwear. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> done. Um, not wearing a bra. Everyone else is wearing a bra. Wow, I'm embarrassed. Literally has nothing to do with my breasts or breasts in general or anybody else's breasts. It That's was just right. like, or, or my like, friends do this. I'm already kind of embarrassed about my body. I would like to participate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I was going to say, because that's so interesting hearing both your upbringing and your upbringing, Riley. Like, they couldn't be more different, but you still had like, the same th- anxiety. There's some things that, like, being a parent, you're just no match for. Like, oh, yeah. Your kids peer are pressure? Gonna, yeah, peer <laughs> pressure, societal pressure. Like, there's just things that you can't you can't guard them from it because they're not growing up in a vacuum. So no matter what kind of values you're trying to instill in them, they're always still going to be susceptible to, like, fear and shame and all this other shit that's be- bombarding them anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, it's all a nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, no one's safe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I I, I want to pivot a little bit because another thing I wanted to talk about is, um, Mom, you have a deep love for and degree in anthropology, Um, and and I'm curious about some some sort of bigger, broader themes, myths, traditions, whatever around mothers and daughters. I know you said that one of the things that you loved the most about anthropology was finding things that across cultures were the same and that sort of felt either like intrinsic human shit or was just like, oh, we've all, every culture has come up with like a myth or a tradition or something around this particular thing. Um, and you recently recommended a book to me that I'm in the middle of reading, which is called The Fear of Women. Uh, which explores some of this stuff, especially around when we went from being a matriarch, when many cultures went from being matriarchal to being patriarchal and when how women used to be worshipped and revered and all the stories were very like women said, like the men were kind of like a, a footnote. They're like, eh, he doesn't matter that much. But like she is this magical creature and can like has the powers and all this shit. Um, anyway, in in sort of that realm of things, is there anything that sticks out to you about mothers and daughters um, that you think is like great, that you think is terrible, but has been like perpetuated for a long time. How does this look on like a broader cultural scale to you? Yeah. Um, I, I don't have an answer to that huge question. Um, I think what I said earlier was most of what I, the conclusion I reached, which is, Culturally, mothers are supposed to teach their daughters how to be women. Uh, and fathers are supposed to teach their sons how to be men. I think that's very, very widespread across cultures. One thing I that really sticks in my mind of a moment where that happened for me um, as a daughter 
was when I had my first baby. And since I was the youngest, I never been around babies before. Um, and my mom and dad were nearby. My, my mom came over and I watched her just, you know, and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to hurt the baby. The top of its head is soft. Everything about it is fragile. I'm going to damage this baby. And she just, and she's a tiny woman, by the way, which I am not. Uh, she just picked that baby up and put it on her shoulder and held it in a certain way. And I just watched her do it. <laughs> and it's like, that's how you hold the baby. Well, I think, yeah. Um, and it was just so good for me for a few days to have a confident, experienced woman around, <laughs> you know, for all those things of baby care. So on a larger scale, I think that's been the function of mothers for daughters. Teach you how to be a woman from like how to handle the peer, you know, just all the expectations and everything like that. What cultures haven't been able to do is to keep up with the enormous changes in those roles in some places uh, and where the roles haven't expanded and grown and changed. There's a lot of push against them, you know, traditional roles for women. So, yeah, that's all I can think of to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, looking at it from, I'm sort of looking at it from two views. So there's the part of me that, like, as a woman is like, yeah, if I ever have a child, I definitely want an experienced woman to, like, be there and show me the ropes but also as like a proud woman, I want to be like, it's my kid back off, bitch. But also <laughs> there's like this like feminist part of me that's like, well, Alex is going to take care of this thing. <laughs> so I don't know where I'm at, obviously, but I feel like it's all clashing. And I think that's sort of a, a big problem, I think, even now between like millennials and their parents. I think you'll do all three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it'll work out. Yeah, I wonder how much, um, even just kind of what you were saying, uh, let's talk more about how excited you were to have me. Um, when, you, <laughs> when you were saying that you felt this diff this sort of difference, and even I've not, I have not had kids, but when I like imagine having kids, I'm like, I hope I have a daughter, right? There's like, there's still that like idea. I have one friend who was told that she was having a daughter and then they're like, oh, it turns out it's a son. And she like went through a whole emotional thing and felt guilty about having the emotional thing about like, she's like, Am I, I, I shouldn't be disappointed, you know, mm -hmm. but, but I had this expectation and then the expectation changed. And like, and we, as her friends were like, that's fine. You can have all the emotions around it. You're still going to love the shit out of your son. Like, this is just a thing that you have to go through and disappointment can be part of that and whatever we're not going to tell him um maybe we will who knows you know he might be fine with it tell him uh, right but when he's really emotionally weak just yeah. throw it in his face guess what guess your what? mom wished you were a girl take that dylan i don't know um, but i wonder if there's any kind of like ancient bearing witness thing you know, due to the amount of like women's experience that's either been erased or told incorrectly or something of like having 
of bearing witness from generation to generation about like what it actually means to be a woman on like a subconscious level of of like something some sort of person that's going to experience what you experienced in a different way obviously they're going to have their own life and they live in a different cultural landscape and all that stuff but that there's something in having a child that is the same gender as you that is like bearing witness to your experience i wonder i i mean i i know that that's tangible for some people i wonder if that's a little bit if if the feelings behind it are a little bit more prominent for women just because of how frequently we're either told what we are, told what we should be, or told what we'll never be, or or there's all these secrets about like what it actually means, or you don't find out about what to do with a baby until you literally have a baby, <laughs> you know, that there's just a lot that each woman has had to figure out on their own and is like excited to be like, oh, I've already figured these things out. So I can I can help you. I can I can like help navigate this and you and I will understand that we both were here and existed and did this stuff when the rest of the world is trying to tell us some other shit. True, false. I don't know. I I think everything you say is probably true. I think it has to do with like, (laughs) I recognize you. Um, I I mean, you should talk to guys because they've been like having the sun thing for, for friggin ever. Um, and if they're not the king of England, you wonder why it's so important. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I think it has to do with the fact that we place different values on different genders and I extremely value women. I gr- value men enormously, but for different reasons. Um, and the reasons I value women are closer to who I am, obviously, because uh, I am also a woman. Um, I think it has to do with uh, close, you know, recognition. I know you. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Is it like a recognition of having a similar experience in the world? Like, oh, I can look at you across the room and we can make eye contact and you could know exactly what just happened to me based on what I look at you or how I look at you. I don't know. I mean, I think, again, as a parent, I think children need to realize that they, from day one, They have been studying their parents. They know every expression. They know every nuance of them, every emotion. They know they are so intricately bound up in each other that when they get a message from the parent, even a nonverbal one, it's going to carry way more weight than when they get that from anybody else in their lives. Yeah. Um, and, And vice versa. So you will affect your parent. I remember saying to somebody like, I never knew I could get as mad as I got at my own children. And that was like the maddest I've ever got. So, you know, that those emotions run very deep. They run in both directions. Um, and yeah, you need to res- just respect the, <laughs> yeah. the fact that the two of you are bound up 
in a dance that um, that will continue for all your lives. <laughs> uh, Did you find there was any difference between th- that connection you're talking about between Riley and your son? Or was yeah. it pretty much the same kind of connection? It's a different connection. Part of the difference has to do with my son is more like me in certain ways than my daughter was like me a lot of her growing up. That has changed and evolved. So, you know, for a parent, it's easier to be around and just relate in a relaxed way to somebody that feels that they're a lot like you and just in terms of their interests or what they do or everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, But my visceral (laughs) connection with my daughter is completely different from the connection with my son now. And I I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying that it is, and I'm not explaining how it is. Sure. Sure. But, um, have you guys ever heard of this this little adage of um, your son is your son till he takes him a wife, your daughter's your daughter for the rest of your life? <laughs> oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. Part of me, like... I, yeah, no, it's offensive as hell. Right, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, just because I know that, that typically, stereotypically, historically, whatever, women are way more likely to be seen as being responsible for being the caretaker. Yeah. Whereas right. men get to go have their own lives. I think what this reflects more is that your son is going to have to break an alliance and Mm -hmm. realign in a, you know, in the relationship he has building his own family. He's going to have to make distinctions um, that your daughter doesn't necessarily have to make. There's just nothing that really calls upon them to do that in when they form their own family and their own relationships. Yeah. Uh, Unless you're like a really interfering telling them how to raise their kids person or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if my mom knows that adage. (laughs) I would say based on her initial treatment of me that that it was like we were in competition. She would like eat off of Alex's plate and like do like stuff that I was like, that's it was it was very when I started dating, I, I saw a whole new side of my mom that I didn't like till that point I'd never seen. And I I didn't quite understand what it was until really Nicole and I started dating because I think Nicole, that was the most like concentrated dose I'd ever seen because Nicole and I were pretty serious. Like she, my mom knew that when they met mm-hmm. and yeah, and it was this very like kind of territorial protective thing that like just kind of popped up and yeah, it, it was it just seems so like instinctual too. It didn't seem like it was something like something that she was ever consciously like deciding to do. It just like, you think so? <laughs> I just like, I think the issue, I think the main issue when we first, first met was that I was some Pennsylvania yokel who didn't use the helping verbs to be right uh, in any right. sentence. So I was deemed to be like literally uneducated and uh like i also literally a lower class because my family like she comes from money and my family does not you know i yeah i know i know you have felt that way and i think there there might have been some of that for extreme sure. condescension there was some of that for sure but i think more of it was that you were younger and i think she was 
concerned for it was like a weird like 50 50 thing where she was like territorial of me Mm -hmm. and like trying to like just scare you away i think part of it did not work (laughs) and then the other thing was like i think when you guys got even just a tiny bit closer and she started confiding in you like oh things that i'd never heard about my mom Mm -hmm. and she was telling nicole about her first husband that i didn't know really anything about and how she met her first husband and how she didn't finish college because of her first husband and left to move to New York for her first husband and all this new stuff that she was confiding to Nicole that I never, that never would have come up yeah. if Nicole wasn't in the picture. And, and then it started becoming more clear to me, like, okay, this is, I think she's starting to understand Nicole and I are serious. Like, this is not some like fling thing. And also in that case, like, beware, Nicole, like, don't, yes. don't quit school for Alex. Like, Which don't... when I did, because I left uh, the college that Alex and I met at and moved to California for three months. And when I told her that I was doing that, sh- she was devastated. She was like, woman to woman, the fuck are you doing right now? Right. And I was like, I'm just experimenting. And she was like, don't experiment too long. And when I told her I was re-enrolled in college and moving back to the East Coast, she literally sent me flowers and was like applauding. Aww. And was like, good girl, go. for like, You guys will be fine. Like, love mm-hmm. my son. Love you together. But go finish school. Yeah. She was like, you're a full person. Don't forget. And she was like the first adult woman who like, told me that because every other woman in my family was like, get a man, lock him down, have a kid. What are you doing? <laughs> and when I re-enrolled in school and was moving across the country away from Alex, all my aunts were like, what are you doing? I thought this was settled. What's going on? Ew. Mm-hmm. So it was Nicole, very weird. can I ask you a question? Please. Um, did, you, did your mom have any, like, did she ever express to you anything she wished she would have done instead of starting her family so early? Um, did she ever have sort of like a dream of like, oh, I'd really like to. Yes. And I actually feel extreme guilt about it because when we were, when I hit middle school, like high school and my sister was in college because we're very far apart. My mom was like, I'm your dad's work friend's wife is a flight attendant. I've always wanted to travel the world. I'm going to apply to be a flight attendant. And this was like, it had it was like months after September 11th because I was like a freshman or a, and I was like, you're going to die in a terrorist attack. You're going to die in a plane crash. And then where am I going to be? What's going to happen to me? And I was being like such a selfish, selfish little bee. And like she did not apply. And I feel really guilty about it because I know she always had big dreams for herself. But since she came from this like extreme Catholic family, no one was like, put a raincoat on it before you jump on to ride. She just had no idea. (laughs) Like at 15 was like getting the work done sexually and like is lucky that she made it to 17 before she had a kid. Like she barely. But you feel guilty. You mean because. I feel guilty that a both Tina and I were. You feel like you talked her out of it. I I for sure shamed her out of it. Was like, mm-hmm. everything's going to die. You're going to die. And I'm going to be alone with dad. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you're also like legitimately scared. I it's was not very like scared. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we have all my mom's from New York. So we had a lot of family like in the World Trade Center that day. And I was like pulled out of school and everybody made it out. Thankfully, that was in our immediate family. But I was like, they almost died. Everybody's dying. The world is a nightmare. Don't be a flight attendant. <laughs> You know, but, I still don't think you had the power to make her not do that. I think you're right about that. 
I I know now as an adult, even though I still feel like tinges of guilt about it, that she doesn't want to rock the boat. She's not a person who is going to go venture out on her own. One year I bought her ceramics classes like in the city because she said she was interested in making pottery. So I like bought all this clay and like cut a deal with the guy who owned the shop so she could come in at her convenience and or she can come with a class and my mom was like i'm not going into the city by myself and i got like 75 percent of my money back but it was <laughs> like she's just not she won't she once asked my sister who was going to a pilates boxing class piloxing um <laughs> if tina was lonely because she was like going to take a class and tina was like what no i'm just gonna i'm fitness and fun friends oh like that was something a lonely woman yeah, does that's right. something a lonely woman does is go do something by herself without her husband like she's gotten more conservative um with her gender views as well the older she's gotten it's very confusing why did mm. you ask barbara yeah well you mean about do you think you had the power yeah i think that kids um including teenagers, <laughs> ascribe way more power to themselves than they actually have. They yeah. kind of simplify things down to. So then I said, like, no, I don't want to. And then, and then like, she did. So he didn't. Yeah. And they had a heart attack. And that was all my fault. Right. You know? right. Um, I, um, it was just another excuse for her. She was like, oh, Nicole yeah. doesn't want me to. But I was right. scared I wasn't going to get it anyway. So yeah. mm. whatever. Yeah. Eh. Oh, man. Any last thoughts that any of us have about mothers and daughters or did we figure it all out did we solve it in one episode i mean we we for sure solved it but i guess i have one (laughs) last thing because i know eventually my mom is going to figure out how to use the internet properly and listen to these podcasts (laughs) um and then we're going to have a long conversation so previously as of last week i hadn't spoken to my mother in two months she was very much making it my sister's problem which it is not. And my sister has three children of her own and works full time and does literally does not have time for that shit. So I called my mom on, what was that? Thursday or Friday? Um, With the idea that I would let her lead the conversation and she could say whatever mean things she needed to say. And I would just like absorb that and be like, cool, well, I'm calling you because... I love you and I've missed you, but also you frustrate the fuck out of me. And it turns out when I called her, we just had a really nice hour long conversation in which I dodged every complicated issue we've ever had. I was like a ice skater <laughs> out there doing triple jumps. I was like Surya Bonnelly doing backflips and shit. I copped out hard because a I was terrified. B, I Alex asked me the night before I called her and was like, do you want to talk to your mother again or do you want her to agree with you? And that question was not fun to think about because, of course, I want her to agree with me and be on the right side of history and like know that if a gay couple gets married, that doesn't mean her marriage means less. But also, I didn't want the last or next phone call I get from someone in my family to be like, they're dead. Like, she's dead. Your dad's dead. You never talk to them again. You have to live with all these regrets. So the conversation went well. And my new unfortunate strategy is to just 
not even baby step, less than baby steps, like salamander step, because those are small, right? (laughs) (laughs) My way into trying not to get her to agree, but to at least acknowledge that my point of view, A, is different, and B, may be somewhat valid. Even if she's just like, I understand your point and explains it back to me, I'll consider that a partial win. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't because I was so stressed out about not speaking with her because she would send me these fucking long, sad text messages of like, when you love someone, it's not just because of what how they are in your life. It's when they're missing from your life. And I'd be like, shut up. <laughs> but like, then that would weigh on me for the entire week. And I'd be like, oh, she's sad. She's sitting at home sad. So I guess, mom, if you're listening... In the year 2080. Um, Very much still 120 years old almost. (laughs) Um, I would say regardless of how our relationship turns out, I still love you. And that's hard. And now we've solved it. (laughs) Now you've solved it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's the reason that it's hard is because you do love her and because she does matter to you and you do want to be able to talk to her and have her in your life. If if you didn't feel all those things, it would be easy. And you'd be like, well, not talking to that person again. Right. right? I mean, yeah. I've done that thousands of times, <laughs> but well, I can't do it with her. Can I just say one other thing? I Please. think that one of one thing that's very particular to a mother daughter relationship is how painful it feels to a daughter to either not be known correctly by your mother or understood correctly by your mother. That when there's an error in understanding or knowing you, it feels way worse than some other misunderstandings do. Yes. I would second that 1,000 times. Yeah. (sighs) Man. We did it, um, you guys. We really did it. Mom, thank you for being our guest yeah. on Hank's podcast. I spent weeks being like, be on my podcast. And she was like, I don't have anything to say. And I was like, <laughs> I know that's not true. I talk to you all the time. You have lots of things to say. Um, and it turns out you had great things to say. So hooray. It was wonderful. <laughs> I'm so glad you agreed to come on. Yeah. Thank you. I just really love listening to you guys. And someday we'll get to meet in person, right? I know. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I would love that. We'll have, to, we'll have to have you on for a follow-up episode when we can all be in the same room together. Even if we don't talk about feminism at all, we'll just drink champagne and hang out. Well, yeah. I wanted to ask Nicole, are you ever going to have an episode about being sisters? Because I think that's huge. I mean, yeah, I think we should. Sisters. I've been trying sisters. to get my uh, my sister on for a while, but she has sort of the same what would I talk about? And I'm like, you're, we have so much to talk about. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, So I'm still working on her, but she's. Alex, do you have a sister? I don't No, I have, I have a younger brother. There's two boys in my family. Eric's the same age as Riley and I. Mm -hmm. We should have Um, Deb on. Yeah. Alex's mom. She'd be a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I just, I was thinking all sorts of stuff while you guys were talking about your... Well, if you have, if you're all boys in that family, then it must be really nice for her to have Nicole. Yeah, I think so. It's really, it's great to have a woman to... Yeah, no, I think she... she... (laughs) A daughter-ish woman. (laughs) Yeah, daughter-ish. Yeah, that's the most (laughs) appropriate phrase. I do think she like warmed up to it when she realized Mm -hmm. the the benefits of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I think also she, it was the two things that made her respect me ultimately. It was going back to school. And then once she, she called Alex a name that he does not like. And I was like, he doesn't like that. And he's not that. And stop it. And she was like, oh, oh. And like the <laughs> fact that I was willing to like go at her. For, stick up for him. Yeah, for him. Yeah. I think she was Protect like, ooh, him. yeah, she liked, she liked that. Nice. And our relationship bloomed even more after that. So. Yeah. 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 That's what we all want. People who have our kids backs. Yeah. I will fight <laughs> everybody for alex yeah you can we take recently, a dump on me but you talk bad to alex i'm gonna freak that's out that's it we had a really great moment with our cat recently when we were sitting in the living room and a raccoon came up to the door and the cat like threw her body at the door and hissed at the raccoon and we we're like yes this cat is gonna protect us <laughs> she, does not she might around. not have a lot of logic when it comes to fighting a large raccoon but but the impulse is there and that's what matters oh, man. that's amazing uh, better than a especially cat. because every video of cats encountering raccoons they're like what what's that what yeah. Who are you? She's scared of a lot of other stuff. If you like move a chair even slightly when she's nearby, she like explodes and runs out of the room. So it was also impressive based on her track record. I'm impressed. Um, Way to go. Mom, I know that you don't have social media that you want anyone to follow you on. Are there any, this is the point in the show where we usually let people like pitch, like uh, not pitch things. Um, talk about things that they want people to go find or support or look up or whatever. Do you have anything that you want people to I, I I want people to get this fucking asshole out of the White House. That's oh my God! Preach! I'm going to stop. Excellent use of time. Yes, right. excellent. Um, well, thank you so much again for joining us. You can follow us at Hags Podcast across all platforms and check out our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Hags Podcast uh, for all sorts of fun shit there's all sorts of fun shit on there <laughs> yeah if you have thoughts feelings confessions rants um be sure to email us at hugspodcast at gmail.com and thank you to alex reeves and point of blue studios for editing our podcast as per usual. uh what else oh uh subscribe to us on spotify write us a review on apple podcasts do you it. know do do all that sort of stuff and uh i'm nicole island i'm riley rose critchlow I'm Alex Reeves. And I'm Riley's mom. Oh, <laughs> thanks, for thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.